This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. Before introducing guests of today's episode, I would like to note just a few things. Physical Activity Researcher Podcast is committed to promoting equality and diversity in all its activities, including selection of guests. We have limited resources to scout all great researchers from different groups of people, so if you know someone who should be as a guest in the podcast, please ask this individual to contact us directly. As another thing, I would like to ask for your help. Being able to deliver this podcast to you, my audience, is based on how many people find, start to listen and follow this podcast. So I would really appreciate little help promoting this podcast. You can do this by subscribing, following the podcast on Twitter, retweeting tweets sometimes, and maybe even giving a good rating if you liked an episode. And now it is time for the actual show and introduction of our great guest of today's episode. Welcome everyone. I'm thrilled about today's guest and our forthcoming discussion about proprioception and the brain. Our guest is working as assistant professor at Sport and Health Sciences at University of Uvascula and as a visiting professor at Department of Neuroscience and Biomedical Engineering at Aalto University, Espoo, Finland. Please welcome assistant professor Dr. Harri Piitulainen. Welcome, Harri. Thank you. Although you have done quite a lot of studies also related to muscle, we thought that today we are going to talk more about proprioception. So could you tell the basics about proprioception and why is it important to study it? Yes, proprioception is uh, is really fundamental for our movements. Uh, I've been interested about it for a long time and uh, and uh, it's based on the in, on the sensory organelles that are located in the muscles, tendons, and uh, and around our joints primarily. Mm. And uh, one of the ma- major sensor is the is the muscle spindle, and uh, its contribution to to our motor control is is uh, very major one and. Uh, and it's basically all these sensors they are recording or informing the brain about uh, about what is going in the going on in the in the body. So it, they are kind of monitoring the state internal state of the of our locomotor system. So so using this this information the brain can put it together and and uh, can understand where we are and in which position and then then the brain can uh, plan the motor actions based on this a priori information so so in that sense 
it's not even possible to move without the proprioception. And this is often kind of neglect, neglected in the in the motor control studies. And there are well several reasons for that. That uh, and quite many of them are more practical practical reasons. But uh, but uh, then well this proprioception it was uh, defined by Charles Serrington more than 100 years ago mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> and he defined these receptors so that they are really recording the internal state and then we have uh, extra receptors like tactile receptors on the skin that is measuring something that is coming from the outside world so mm-hmm. so so to the skin pressure on the skin and so forth, which is also meaningful for our movement or motor control control, especially for the food food plantar pressure is conveyed to the brain as well. And uh, yes, so it's that's why I'm interested about it. That is so fundamental for the motor control. Yeah, yeah, and I, I guess that's the what enables humans to actually stay on two feet on the balance, and they can move, and and even the top athletes can perform like incredible feats. And it's because of one important part is the proprioception, right? Yes, yes, and it it has several functions uh, for for our movements. One is the spinal level control because um, if we do some explosive uh, time-wise accurate movements uh, like like high jumping or whatever uh, explosive sport actions it's very important to activate the muscles exactly the right time and and proprioception can very fast regulate the muscle activity based on what is going on in the in the muscles so so it can either enhance the, its activity or decrease it. Decrease. So it can modulate in the spinal cord the activity, activity levels of the muscles, which is fast because because if if you want to change the motor plans starting from the brain, it's much slower because there's always some conduction delay. Mm. Delay. So that's why the proprioception has to work in in multiple levels and the spinal level is very important all right so if you consider 100 meter sprint running how much does the proprioception play there that the actually the hamstring is activating exactly a little bit before the foot hits the ground and and with the maximum force is is kind of part of the Sprint training is it part like that you train the proprioceptive system to be timed rightly? Yes, of course. When you train, you train the whole system, but but also proprioceptive system is trained. So the motor learning, I I think it doesn't happen only in the brain. It happens everywhere. It's partly it's structural. So there are structural changes in these neuronal connections in the spinal level as well. Which mm. is kind of learning because then these pathways can be taken in a use properly and 
fast manner. So so I think uh, this definitely occurs. Occurs and you can you can train the proprioceptions like like in high jump we have this Golgi tendon organ. Mm. So uh, I think like normal persons couldn't even exert such high impact forces because this this organ would kind of block block the 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 motor drive to the to the muscle kind of shut down the muscles in mm. in the event of strong impact but when you when the athlete trains this system it it learns that this is not too high mm. impact and and over time you can uh, you can uh, perform something that was not possible before but uh, but i come back to your question that that uh, that uh, how important in for example 100 meter sprint the proprioception is yeah. is it is definitely important but uh, i think uh, the more regular the movement pattern is the the less important the proprioception is of course it's important but but uh, the then the brain can predict much better what is going to happen. So then the role of spinal level control is 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 uh, more fixed, fixed also in time wise. But if if we think some other activity like uh, orienteering, if you are running <coughs> running in a forest mm. where the terrain is chasing all the time, so mm. there its role is even much stronger because then the brain can't predict all the small details in the and, terrain. And then you this mean this because the terrain is different for every step, so you need to trust on the proprioceptive system to actually stay balanced and not to get injured. Yes, right. yeah. yes, yes. And uh, in such a very worrying conditions, the proprioception is, or this fast control of proprioception, the spinal level is, is really important. So proprioception can modulate the motor plan or change the motor plan that enters the spinal cord from the brain so that it's more meaningful and more precise the control of the muscles. Hmm. And if, if I go back to this high jump example, do you think it's more about that actually the connective tissues and other tissues become strong enough to take that force? Or is it more that you just kind of habituate the proprioceptive system to allow for such a force to to be exerted what what is your yes that's guess? a good question hard to answer uh answer how it actually is but i think both both scenarios happen so so of course the structures and tissues they are getting stronger as well and uh, and then <clears throat> then this this affects how these proprioceptors are actually loaded during the mm. actions or motor activity and uh, and uh, and this way <coughs> uh, kind of this structural muscle growth and, and type <coughs> changes like that can affect how the proprioceptors are activated but but I, on the other hand there's there's definitely some neural component in it mm. so so the proprioceptors they are quite kind of dumb <laughs> sensors so they just send the feedback to the central nervous system mm. but then it's the 
Spinal Cord level, there's a surprisingly lot of processing of this information already. Mm. So it's not always just a monosynaptic connection to the muscle. There's all, all the time, we need to remember that there's all the time also from the other levels of the spinal cord input input to the to this to these connections and and also the brain brain is all the time sending output to the spinal cord so this is continuous ongoing process so it never starts and never stops so so basically basically it's a kind of continuum so so <clears throat> and and of also when something is changed in the spinal level this information goes also to the brain so then the brain knows that this happened and this way it can learn mm. to perform better also the planning part in yeah. the brain this podcast is sponsored by fibian a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting standing physical activity and energy expenditure furthermore Fibian has been shown to be valid categorizing physical activity into light, moderate, and vigorous intensity. In addition to scientific accuracy, Fibian provides automatically produced and easy-to-understand reports for research participants. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian. From researchers to researchers. So, so you said that the receptors are kind of dumb. Is the is the brain modulating all the time? Kind of the how sensitive they are, or is it just kind of loop that the processing is in the spinal cord? Is or is the brain? Can you can you modulate the sensitivity of this system? Uh, yes, yes. I think uh, well. Uh, I think interesting point is that uh, most of the proprioceptive control is unconscious, so we are not aware about our proprioceptive input. Yeah. So, so we only perceive proprioception then when something goes uh, uh, wrong. Is something like sudden, unexpected happens? For example, if if you you are opening a door and somebody has change it so that it's for example more heavy mm. so then you notice that something is wrong mm. if if it would be the old door you would just open it and then you wouldn't notice anything so so once we have learned these uh, context dependent movement patterns and how how the physical world around us is and how how heavy and we we, we actually remember quite a lot of or our brain remembers quite a lot of things from our environment so and we tend to do uh, all the actions the same way all always mm. of course they are not the, there's a lot of variation in the movements patterns but but we or the brain kind of tries to do them as efficiently as possible each time and and if everything goes as planned by the brain uh, based on the previous learning so then mm. Then we don't even perceive the proprioception at all, at all. And uh, but uh, maybe, maybe it it could be. I, I don't know if it's really studied that a lot, but but how how the how it affects if we we really try to 
like consciously uh, change change our uh, proprioceptive effect. I think this could be a quite interesting new field of research. Yeah, <laughs> research, yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting. And and basically, I'm I'm doing martial arts, and it's quite a bit of skills training. And for example, many times I try to concentrate on the tactile feedback from the feet, the pressure under the bones, because I have noticed that it needs to be the balance needs to be correct. Maybe I need to exert first the force down that I'm kind of heavy and then I can push forward. And I'm just thinking that is it just for me to perform the right movement or does it actually really kind of help my proprioception that when I pay attention, for example, to the pressure under my feet, uh, what's, what, what would you guess? Does it, is it just for me to kind of experience it correctly or do you think it actually affects my proprioceptive system that I pay attention? Yeah, we are actually now, we have recorded a data set using magnetoangelography, so it's MET, and it measures the very tiny magnetic fields from the brain when the group of cortical neurons are activated. Mm. So it's very sensitive, direct, non-invasive measure to measure the cortical activity. And we have developed tools to stimulate the proprioceptors in humans. And uh, and we we are we have one one condition there where we or the aim aim is to is to clarify how how it affects if we attend to the we, we generate passive movements in this stimuli. So mm. if we attend to this stimuli or if we don't attend to this stimuli, if, if we can see some difference in the cortical proprioceptive processing based on this attention mm. effect. And uh, with this kind of setup we can get some idea how 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 um, this could have affect the, or the attention could affect in the brain level level and of course our hypothesis is that the attention plays a role there and uh, I think it's it's um, I think top athletes they they like um, they have very good sense about their body mm. in overall also in other aspects than just the pure, pure proprioception. There's also a term called interoception, so it it also includes the autonomic nervous system uh, uh, functions like uh, feeling tired or ill or whatever kind mm. of kind of gut feelings feelings. Yeah. But 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 uh, it's I think it's especially for the athletes it's very important to really learn to feel feel your body and read kind of those messages, what it sends to mm. you. This helps in motor learning, but also in in, uh, in training and and uh, or finding the balance between training and recovery, for example. Because nowadays we have a we have a lot of tools to record also some of these autonomic signals signals. But for proprioception of course there's not not uh, like new technologies to <laughs> to use mm. in, but uh, but I think like mental training. If you think how how you 
you perform some skillful action, it it helps mm. helps because then you repeat it many times in your brain and or inside your or in your mind mm. this this action and this kind of transfer to the real real actions later on. So definitely it, it has has an important role in motor learning, but I think it's still very little studied. Mm. Studied. It would be interesting to know how this mental training, for example, affects our proprioceptive processing in the brain. Yeah. <clears throat> so you told about the study that the attention affects how the brain kind of uh, the brain activity of the proprioception. Do you think there's the difference between between the slow and fast movements that for the for the sprinter there's no time to actually get the information to the brain and then activate the hamstrings but in some sport movements it's slow enough that you can actually have the feedback do you think this makes the difference yes and it it makes a big the timing makes difference and then also uh, which body parts you are using if you are using primarily just the legs so mm-hmm. they are actually further away from the brain the conduction times are longer and the actions are typically more automated but mm-hmm. but then if you go to the fine motor skills of the hand then the picture is totally different because because uh, actually the human hand is very precise instrument uh, no other animal has has such a precise instrument as humans do mm-hmm. the human hand And there's a lot of proprioceptive feedback and also direct direct uh, output from the motor cortex or the motor commands to the to these these uh, alpha motor neurons in the spinal level, and it it means that means that uh, that we can control or the brain controls. Uh, has a strong direct control on the hand movements mm. and uh, I didn't mention yet but uh, but it's one interesting number it's, it's good to have some kind of scales about everything that you understand what is meaningful so so if you think how many motor output neurons we have from the brain to the spinal cord and we compare this number to the number of input like somatosensory afferents mm. neurons which includes also proprioceptive neurons so there's at least 10 times more of this input to the brain than output or the motor output so it's it just underlines how important it is and there there are some some researchers who have tried to build robots that would walk like humans like mm. bipedal robots and um, And uh, the, there are estimations that, that the feedback in this kind of system has to be at least tenfold compared to the control output mm. that yeah. it can be stable. So yeah. and in and these numbers come from cats and uh, in human hand this is probably even much bigger difference. Yeah, difference. yeah. Cats have quite a good balance and quite a good chance. Yes, so they, they are amazing in, in that sense as well but uh, it's actually quite surprising we can we can also check the number of of this 
these direct connections from the motor output to the to the spinal cord alpha motor neurons. So these are the like the final common pathway. So it's it's a very fast fast <coughs> connection to the to the muscle. So mm. so in rodents, for example, there are <coughs> zero of these connections, and then in 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 some monkeys there are more, or they start to have these. <coughs> Sorry, and uh, and then in humans we have even larger number of these connections, especially for the hand muscles. Mm. Can, can you say which connection from alpha motor neuron to uh, from the cortex? So from the Brain to the alpha motor neurons, direct, right. direct connections. Yeah, because majority of these connections they are are indirect. So, so there are interneurons in between, hmm. or several interneurons in between. Between, <coughs> so this number of direct connections from the from the corticospinal tract from the brain to the alpha motor neuron. Hmm. If you cal- calculate this number for different species, you can see that humans have the most most of these connections and their dexterity index is the best for the hand so they are really they have really good or we we have really good skills in our hands and then some monkeys come quite close but they still they have less less of these connections mm. relative to the these uh, indirect yeah and, and could you explain more about why is it more precise to have the direct ones and why is it less precise to have it through the interneurons and maybe also why why do the animals don't have it is it just that they don't need the precision uh, yes so so if you think time wise it's much faster to have direct connections to the muscle so mm. through the corticospinal tract the brain has basically direct access to the motor units of the muscle so it can control them very fast and precisely but if there's a interneurons in between then then uh, there are other other inputs that affect this control and it's also slower so this enables the human hand to perform such a precise movements because the brain can control and plan plan it better so so if the and and also also the plan and the kind of the decrease of freedom in these plans is much higher because because the more we have these direct connections and the more we have feedback about what is going on in in the through the proprioception in the in the hand movements the more precise it can be so mm. and i think it's purely evo- evolution so so the actually the human hand was ready already 1.5 million years ago. So the bones of our hands were ready already 1.5 million years ago, mm. and that was a time that we were just uh, got on upright position. So our hands were free to other actions than moving around. Mm. So so at the, at this point. Uh, the brain size started to grow exponentially. Mm. So, so, but but it happens actually before that uh, 
that the hand was first ready and then the brain came after. So mm. the brain started to grow after this because our hands made made the world completely different to us because then we were able to perform very complex tasks that you couldn't do without uh, like hands like humans have. So you could start to use tools and you could start to build things and you could even have some sign language and so forth. And this of course needs more precise control of the motor control and more cognitive capacity mm. re- because then these actions start to be very uh, well complex uh, but but also they have different meanings semantics and uh, and uh, abstract abstract mean abstract things as well as well so so this is this was really important point in, in human evolution and and uh, in other animals they have a different environment where they are living living for example rodents they have a, a very precise information about the whiskers so they use this these uh, mm. whiskers very in detailed manner but they don't use their forelimbs in in that uh, fine movements as as humans. Mm. So there's no need need for this fast connections and and uh, in evolution it seems that that also in the ner- nervous system we only only invest on those 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 parts or or functions that are really needed and beneficial for the survival and, mm. and, and so uh, so so basically you know kind of the time when the proprioception was evolving quite a bit so the hand, hand was ready and then the brain was growing in size so you think that that was the time probably when the proprioception started to really have the kind of fast evolution Yes, also also in in this sense, the proprioceptive system probably or or it's actually probably not even studied that much if the if the properties of the proprioceptors and and in these uh, networks if they how they vary between species other than in number number of axons, for example, as I referred earlier, but. Uh, of course we know know that that there's a huge variety in, in the in the neurons as well that that the neurons are not just one type there are different types and they have different properties and same same is true for the receptors most yeah. likely that they can be different sizes they can have different properties so it can be that that uh, humans have slightly different proprioceptors compared to some other animals but but it's these are these are not that well studied yet. But uh, I'm quite sure that this is the case. Also, mm. there are some small differences that can have a big effect. But I think it's it's mainly mainly because um, because we have a we have just more connections there because we need more information about about the periphery. Mm. And but this this evolution started started at the same time when we 
cut upright position and started to use our hands in more precise way. So then, then the individuals who were more more skillful, they were better making fire, for example. Mm. <laughs> they they survived the better. So is there any, are you aware of historical evidence that what were they making? Probably making fire was important, probably making weapons like sharp things was important. Is Are you aware of the evidence? What what was there at those times? Mm, yeah, I think uh, those those things also making clothes and, uh, and uh, different kind of shelters and hunting and then Of course, we started to, uh, or we were collecting our food mainly, mainly at the time, mm. I guess. But, but I'm, I'm not an expert on 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 the on that aspects, aspects. But, uh, but I think uh, the more complex weapons, for example, we were able to build, that must have been important because then we could hunt better and we could fight other tribes better and mm. like nowadays sadly still in the same situation <laughs> the best weapons rule the world and and that sort of yeah thing happened maybe in the past as well yeah It, like technological that, competition yeah yeah in, and in you said sense. that uh, picking the food i think picking a berry without crushing is quite a quite a motor task with the, for the proprioception also yes yes and uh, if we think that Other animals, like some monkeys, they are incredible in climbing in trees and jumping, and and uh, so they also have very well developed proprioceptive system. Mm. But the only difference from humans to the other animals is that that our hand is so precisely controlled. Mm. So this fine motor control is so precise. This doesn't. Or there's not a, a, another animal that has such a precision there. There, mm-hmm. so. And and I guess you are doing most of your research with the with the fingers, as there's they are provide easier way to study proprioception. Yes, of course, because hand is so important and and for humans, so that's more more related to this these uh, complex tasks that we can perform mm. in motor domain abstract things uh, as well <clears throat> that's one reason that it's so so uh, uh, important for humans to hand or and well developed uh, motor control there but then uh, There are also these practical reasons because it's actually quite difficult to to study the proprioceptions in humans mm. because we want to do it non-invasively and especially when we <coughs> want to use neuroimaging to do brain research on this topic we need to or we have had to develop tools to do the stimulations uh, perform the stimulations and um, And and so forth and and for MET so the magnetoangiographic recording the the hand region is actually in very good position because the orientation of the of the cortex with respect to the recording uh, sensors in MET is 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 uh, one factor that 
affects the signal strength because mm-hmm. in the brain the brain is all the time active active so so we need to somehow uh, <coughs> find the proprioceptive signal from the brain or the processing of the of the cortex related to the proprioceptive feedback from the brain noise so there's all the other activity going on mm. also in the same regions and in the nearby cortical regions uh, and then of course there are some sensor noise as well but but hand hand region is in good position another part is the auditory area area for that is good for MEG and and also visual area but but then for example the ankle is more challenging we have studied also quite a lot ankle ankle proprioception and mm. we are actually doing was just starting new projects that are actually focused on the ankle ankle joint proprioception in MEG as well so so there there the anatomy is not as optimal as from the MEG point of view so it's technical reasons technical or physical reasons but uh, but but we have also used and developed tools to fMRI that is less prone for this uh, these orientation problems but then of course uh, it's much slower slower method this functional magnetic resonance imaging uh, recording the hemodynamic responses from the brain so it's it's not directly recording the neuronal activity but the delayed response when mm-hmm. the when the neurons use the oxygen and, and then the blood blood flow changes because so of the this time <coughs> resolution is not as good as with the yes MET. yes it's in order of seconds and in MET is order of milliseconds so it's right. completely different and MET reflects directly the the neuronal activity in the cortex especially the pyramidal cells activity so in that sense it's it's better to study time-wise precise aspects of proprioception and yeah. this is of course very important in mo- movement control or motor control in general yeah and and just to clarify so for the MET it just happens that the hand region is in a good anatomical position to study it but you don't have this limitation with fMRI am I right yes yes it just happens to be the anatomy is right or optimal or not optimal but good good for MEG recordings there's a <coughs> the central sulcus is quite prominent sulcus yeah and the direction of the primary currents in the in these neuronal activities is optimal for the MEG sensors to pick the activity mm. yeah. <coughs> but for fMRI there's there's no such uh, orientation uh, limitations so so there we have a we are studying the voxel wise activity but but the big or the biggest issue in fMRI for studying proprioception is the is the movement of the head so if we do very strong stretches of the ankle joint for example it eventually moves also the head and if mm. these voxels are moving with your stimuli you get very bad bad um, 
movement artifacts in the fMRI. Mm. fMRI. But we have so far used a bit slower movements so that we don't get strong movement artifacts. Artifacts and uh, and uh, the fMRI is good if you want to pinpoint where the activity is. Mm. In in healthy individuals, we more or less know where this activity is. Is but but in in patients like in cerebral palsy, for example, or or in stroke patients, we have studied the both both patients in in our past experiments and uh, <clears throat> and in these populations, especially in cerebral palsy, the the representations for the proprioception can be very different, and also for the motor motor areas very different because they have uh, had a brain lesion early on there there even before the birth or shortly after mm-hmm. so it has affected their development of the motor and proprioceptive system system so so it can be that that it's even in the in the other hemisphere where we expect it to it to be all right but of course, uh, also the spatial resolution of the MEG is enough to solve this kind of this kind of uh, spatial spatial uh, details. But in fMRI, it's uh, well, it's just a bit more precise in uh, in pinpointing the anatomical locations. Mm. And with the CP patients. Is it consistent between them that it's in different areas, or it's between different individuals? It's it can be very uh, different places. In cerebral palsy, the <coughs> the they are very heterogeneous uh, group because the lesions site varies quite a lot. Mm. It can be in basically everywhere or <coughs> in any point of the brain <clears throat> but of course there are some 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 patients that are, are kind of typical sites where the lesion is is but of course if if the lesion is in the in the motor cortex so it mm. can be that this part of the cortex is yeah, is uh, <clears throat> not functional anymore so in in this kind of patient the <clears throat> this relocation typically occurs mm. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Fibian is an accurate sitting and physical activity tracking device and analysis platform. It is a great tool for projects that aim for behavior change in sedentary behavior and incidental physical activity. Fibian provides easy-to-understand PDF and web browser reports for participants. Other features include comparisons to recommendations, linking results to health risks, achievement cards, and interactive goal-setting tool. In addition, Fibian provides an API that allows for easy integration to other systems and applications. Learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian. From researchers to researchers. Yeah, and, and could you tell a little bit more how do you study the proprioception like what is your research setting how do you how do you find out what what's happening in the brain what kind of setup you use yes <clears throat> so 
there are a couple of ways uh, in in humans non-invasively to study the proprioception. We have mainly used uh, passive movements. So we have uh, built a computer-controlled pneumatic movement actuators because they are pneumatic because we can't bring electric motors to the MEG environment or or to the fMRI environment because they mm. create artifacts. Yeah, and that's that's the one limiting factor. But but uh, using pneumatic systems, we don't need any electric devices inside the sealed room. Mm. So there's a magnetically sealed room where the, these recordings are done. And uh, and uh, basically, we we have different versions of these st- stimulators. We call them proprioceptive stimulators or or movement actuators. And uh, <clears throat> and uh, well, we started stimulating the hand, the index finger was was the first one that we started to basically move move either. Either, uh, for example, in in evoked conditions, we we typically move the finger every about three seconds, for example, and then we simply average the data based mm-hmm. on these events. But then we have also used uh, continuous movements, where we continuously move the finger, for example, at three hertz, like extensive flexion movement, and this this generates continuous feedback to the cortex, proprioceptive feedback from the muscles, both from from the flexor and extensor muscles alternating. Mm. And and this is actually very <coughs> very uh, robust way to to map where is the representation area for for, for a finger for example. Mm. Because we then use a coherence analysis analysis to <coughs> To compute the coherence between the acceleration, we typically measure acceleration using a very lightweight accelerometers. The same time when the finger is moved, and uh, and this this kind of finger kinematics are very coherent with the brain activity measured with MEG, MEG in the in the primary somatosensory and motor cortices. Mm. So even with one minute of recording, we can say where your index finger yeah. representation and, area is. And so basically, you are moving the finger, for example, with three hertz, and then you are looking for a kind of three hertz changes in the brain activation. Yes, we are we are computing the coherence between these signals. So and we are focusing on this movement frequency. So into the on this three hertz band only. Mm. And the benefit is that then all the other noise, brain noise and sensor noise in the other frequency bands can be rejected. So mm. so most of the noise goes away. And then then uh, then the coherence it's it's the correlation in the in the frequency domain. So basically we compute the correlation at three hertz between these brain and, and kinematic signals and and this this uh, we have found that it's very very strong signal so that this coherence can have values from zero to one so one means that it's completely uh, coherent Matched, yeah so it's basically the same 
same signals, same events happening at the same time all the time. Mm. And we we have had values from point nine till till point uh, two typically. And I think we have measured well more than 100 individuals, healthy individuals, and all of them have showed this mm. this and, coherence. And do, you, do, you, do you think? What is the difference between point two and point nine? Is it the individual or your method or what? What makes the difference? Yes, we have been thinking this a, a lot. <laughs> the coherence is not that straightforward. Uh, if you average the data, then you can say that there's uh, more activity. But in in coherence, it's not that straightforward. There are uh, many different factors that can happen uh, can affect the coherence level. For example, the <coughs> signal-to-noise ratio. So if we, we have a low signal-to-noise ratio, like in MIT recordings, we do have. For the acceler- accelerometers, the signal-to-noise ratio is excellent, but for the MIT is much worse. And if it happens that for some reason the signal-to-noise ratio in the MIT is increasing, so it's better, we have more signal, physiological signal that we are interested then then the coherence level increases typically mm. but if if the signal to noise ratio is enough big enough then we don't have this effect anymore but i guess in in our recordings we <coughs> we still still have this effect there so we have to be a bit careful about about that so we need to control the recordings very precisely so we if we make some longitudinal recordings different systems then then we need to try to do everything exactly as was done before and the benefit of our stimulators is that they are millisecond accurate as well so we can repeat the same stimuli exactly in the second sessions and and the reproducibility of of this we call it cortical kinematic coherence we have shown that it's actually surprisingly good good but there is in individual level there is still variation so it's at the moment if we for example measure patients it's still a bit questionable to to make strong strong uh, conclusions from individual patient data but in the group level it's very reproducible and in that sense it's good tool for research Mm. purposes but but we are not i think we are not yet in the in the or we don't know enough yet that we could start to examine uh, individual patients using this kind of approach yet mm. and and how is it like the effect of range of movement like if you in the middle of the range of movement do you get less proprioceptive signals sent to the brain and then when you are closing the extreme that it's actually stretched more the muscle tendon and muscle do you get the stronger signal or how how what kind of range of movement do you use yes uh, definitely this has a uh, effect and uh, we have a just recently collected a data set where we had used a new version of our proprioceptive stimulators that we were able to modify the movement range. Mm. But we haven't analyzed this yet. And one of my 
PhD student is about to do it soon, soon in near future. But uh, but our hypothesis is that uh, that uh, especially when we go to this extreme, or not extreme, but in the in the extremes of the normal range of motion, uh, there are other other than muscle spindle that or other proprioceptors than muscle spindle that is that are activated and and of course this this will f- affect the cortical proprioceptive processing as well most likely mm. so the muscle spindle is active throughout the range of motion so we have typically used movements that are in the kind of in the middle of the range of motion to avoid these extremes extremes and uh, but uh, and of course, these pneumatic systems—they are quite hard to design so that we would get big movements. Mm. We are using these artificial muscles, pneumatic muscles, and they can compress uh, one in maximum one fourth of their length, and this mm. gives or makes some limits what we can do. But we have to build some kind of lever systems there to get more mm. range of motion, and this is. Not always that straightforward, but uh, but uh, but anyway, especially the Golgi tendon organ and joint joint receptors are activated, especially in the so especially some of the joint receptors they are silent in the mid mid mm. point of the range of motion, but in the extremes they are activated, so they kind of inform the brain when we are approaching these uh, extreme positions. Mm. And uh, of course, if we go even further, then even skin receptors start, and these receptors in the, the ligaments and, and so on, they start to be important as well. Yeah. Well, but but if especially if we stay in the middle region of the range of motion, we are mainly monitoring the muscle spindle activity, which is also quite nice because then then we can kind of exclude mm, yeah. at least partly some of the other effects. Yeah, and you mentioned ligaments, and I, I got an idea that, uh, you know, if you stretch the ligament for a long time, it kind of get elongated, like hysteresis. Could you actually check that if you if you kind of stretch something and keep it stretched, that would you expect to see that the proprioceptive or the input to the brain would actually decrease with the time when the ligament is being elongated. Yes, during this kind of passive stretching there's um, like a structural changes in the periphery, in the ligament and in tendon and in muscle as well. There are con- connective tissue also in the muscle that is elongated and in that way it, it will affect the spindle sensitivity most likely. Mm. And uh, and also autoproprioceptive sensitivity may change, and this is one question that we we also have been studying or studying, but it's still an ongoing study. It's 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 not a stretching study, which could be another very interesting mm. uh, setup to test. But uh, but uh, <coughs> but we have a. Uh, uh, an ongoing study where we are, there are runners, so they are running 1.5 hours, so one and a half hours, yes, mm. 
and uh, we measure them before and after this running in MET and we do this proprioceptive stimulations for the for the ankle joint mm. so in this kind of repetitive running or uh, there's a uh, a lot of lot of uh, changes in these tissue properties mm. and uh, we expect to see see significant difference be- compared to the before kind of baseline level of proprioceptive mm. feedback to the brain but of course it's still hard to say if we are actually quantifying the amount of the proprioceptive input coming into the brain or if we are if we are quantifying the level of proprioceptive processing so in other words the network of neurons that is activated because of the of the activity so mm. my guess is that in this running example for example the this for example this cortical kinematic coherence or this average responses they will be stronger so there will be more activity related to the stimulation mm. because the this is something that is something has changed and the brain has to adapt to it and brain hasn't learned yet to cope with this problem yeah. so so it it most likely involves larger neural population to solve this problem and we have a uh, some some evidence from older individuals uh, so we compared proprioceptive processing in the brain in young and old groups and uh, and we observed that in old old group this proprioceptive responses they were clearly stronger than in these young mm. individuals and it most likely because the in young individuals who are more active as as well typically and and in old older individuals they may of course they were healthy so they don't have any neurological diseases or anything like that but but <clears throat> but they are well their performance we tested for example balance performance mm. their performance is, is already clearly worse compared to the young yeah young in motor performance and and so the reason is most likely that that their proprioceptive motor network is not as op- optimized as in the young mm. so so the better we learn if we come to these top athletes again most likely they have much smaller neuronal networks that are involved in 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 the movements that they are performing mm. because they have trained it so well but yeah. then if some other person who is not trained as well they they need more brain capacity to perform the same things even they they perform worse so so i think this kind of situation most likely happens also after this this running yeah and and do you think that with the with the older people it is that the body and the the motor system proprioceptive system is getting older getting not as good so basically then you need to actually start to use the brain more to to do the simple probably daily tasks of of walking yes uh, it's most likely some kind of compensation for this 
degeneration events happening in the muscles and also in the nervous system. So mm-hmm. we know that some of the of the muscle cells and neur- neurons are dying when we are getting older. We have less of them, mm-hmm. especially the fast fast uh, neurons and motor units. Uh, so it's compensation for this this and uh, and uh, uh, was there something else that you uh, were I'm, thinking? I'm not sure if it was. I, I can go back to this running example that after one and a half hour run, there is probably changes in tissue lengths, the swelling and so on. Can you kind of uh, differentiate between the changes in tissue and actually changes in proprioceptive input signals that if you see changes after the one and a half hour run is it just that the anatomy is different or is it that the body is sending different amount of signals mm, yeah of course it's quite difficult to say if the proprioceptive activation for this even even our stimulus is exactly the same before and after it can be that these proprioceptors are not as well activated so they can also have some fatigue mm. so they can have some structural structural and even functional fatigue because in, in muscle spindle there's uh, also muscle cells there are these intrafusal muscle cells in this sensory organelle so so it can be that also these parts can somehow get fatigued mm. but for this we would need very precise uh, micro-neurography recordings that has been yeah. done also in humans but this requires uh, expertise that we don't have in our lab lab but but it, it is possible to find some of these afferent axons that are and then test if they are responding to movement movement so we can find individual neurons neurons afferent proprioceptive neurons and monitor how they are activated in different joint angles and so on but i think it's still quite difficult to find them before and after running mm. the exactly the same neurons but yeah. if you record enough of these neurons then you would get some kind of idea how is this activity but but of course it's there are, it, it's one possibility that that also the proprioceptive feedback to the brain is changing because of these fatigue events mm. in the periphery yeah and not yeah. only the brain and i think it's it is well my guess is that it has a strong contribution in this what happens in the periphery because this proprioceptive feedback is probably quite different if you i have for example myself run marathon once mm. <laughs> and And I remember that in the end part of the race uh, or, or the marathon, I my legs started to be quite fatigued, and I don't mean uh, I mean especially in in a structural way mm. because there are a lot of repeated impacts. Yeah. So I remember when I had to lift my leg when I was running over some obstacle, and and I was lifting it way too much so yeah. my brain kind of had lost the control where where my legs actually are and how yeah. how they are moving so it must be that 
that this structural fatigue in the in the tendons and muscles and so forth has caused this imbalance imbalance for the brain that it kind of was it's quite easy to to fool the brain <laughs> brain and and i could give a lot of examples in proprioceptive domain there's a lot of this because tendon vibration for example has been used to activate proprioceptors so you apply mm. 80 hertz 80 hertz has vibration to the, some tendon and, and if you don't see your hand you you can feel that it's moving even it's not moving so it's quite easy to fool the the brain about the proprioception yeah that's actually interesting i've been sometimes in the gyms where they have this vibration plate i i go there and try the different frequencies and you get the odd feeling in your in your legs i think it's somehow fooling your system especially the patella tendon it feels it feels a little bit awkward do you have any guess what's happening with the proprioception when you stay there for one minute for example on bent knees and a high vibration plate yes uh, well our typical movements they are occurring in quite low frequencies so let's say mm. at least below six hertz so there are not many movements that we can perform faster than six hertz rate so mm. so in this place we typically go to much higher frequencies so even to this 80 80 even 100 hertz i don't know exactly what hertz you used mm. or frequency did you use but but anyway the, i think the idea behind this plate is also that that they activate the muscle spindles and through this spinal monosynaptic reflex loop this stretch reflex mm. loop they also activate the muscles so it's kind of activating the muscles so mm. muscles so it's kind of training in that sense and uh, and these plates has been also used in 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 therapy so for example in cerebral palsy they are using these to 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 strengthen the connections from the proprioceptors to the spinal cord and to the mm. brain as well so that so that they they typically have a or not all but in many cases they have a, they have behaviorally a weak proprioception so mm. they don't it's hard for them to understand where if they don't see their foot for example that that whether they are moving it in in one direction or a, a, another direction mm. so these kind of specialized movements they are not able to make them properly and with this vibration plate there has been uh, good good results so that that this because it activates the proprioceptive feedback quite mm strongly so it, if if the neurons are active typically these these pathways are also also growing so they are getting stronger these mm. synaptic connections and so forth of course it's not very functionally meaningful <laughs> meaningful yeah. uh, modulation but if if the pathway is getting stronger then there's maybe better chance to for further motor learning later on yeah yeah with with other type of training so so in in certain patients it's with proprioceptive deficits it's it could or can be very yeah. good but 
I think uh, it, it's also like the proprioception in general in humans. It's it's very understudied. So these these effects would be also studied much more yeah. precisely. This podcast is sponsored by Fibion. Uh, my name is Dr. Paul Batman, and I'd like to just say a few words about Fibion. Um, I've used it a number of times on different projects that I've been involved in and find that it's incredibly reliable, very valid and incredibly sturdy. I love the graphics that come with it. It really is very clear and can easily see the active and inactive periods as well. So I'd certainly recommend Fibion to anyone that's interested in finding out more about sedentary behaviour, particularly the concept of sitting and how we can possibly break it up with some really good valid information. Yeah, so if somebody have a deficit, it might be might be useful as a as a kind of a educated guess. What do you think about athletes? They they have a very good proprioception and very good knowledge of their body, sense of their body. Do you think there's some could be some advantage using mm. using those? Yeah, I think in athletes they they kind of need some new impacts impacts to their training from time to time so i think it's quite close to balance training so balance training mm. is very proprioceptive training yeah actually so especially for the ankle joint if you do do with some soft pad or something like that yeah balance training is very proprioceptive training and uh, and this is these vibrating plates in combination to balance training could be could be also very beneficial for athletes and, and there are studies showing that balance training for even for top athletes can enhance their force production mm. like clearly with, with several persons and this yeah. is of course beneficial but I think most athletes are already are doing some kind of balance training in their training but uh, but I think uh, kind of proprioceptive or balance training whatever we call it it's it could could be beneficial especially for some sports mm, yeah and i think when you stand on the plate for one minute i think there's some sort of fatigue that i feel but i think it's not the same sort of fatigue that if i'm actually lifting the heavy weights or or something so what do you think what could cause the fatigue when the plate is actually vibrating fast what what is the mm. system in the body that could get yeah, i fatigued? think it's it's um, if we think this for example muscle spindles the proprioceptive sensors they are not used to be activated that fast rate because mm. our normal movements are much slower of course they are pro- like muscle spindle it's all the time active but if there's not much changing in the system we are still standing still or or sitting down then then there's some not so frequent feedback but when there's any change in the system there's faster mm. faster rate feedback or activation of this their axon that conveys the information to the spinal cord and the brain and with this kind of vibration plate it's quite unnatural situation that the spindles are probably very activated mm. during this kind of task and uh, and uh, there can be some kind of depletion of of some energy sources in these neurons or even in the receptor itself self mm. and and it can yeah this 
would be another good example that we could study also from the brain perspective in using MEG to to measure before and after vibrating plate. Mm. Although you to might see, have the methodological difference that it works with the electricity and uh, yes, and but we can, like with the running, we we they first ah, yeah. we do first a baseline measurement and then they go out outside the measuring room and do the activity there and then we can measure them again. Of course, it's we we can mainly monitor a bit long term adaptation. So so the because it. In practice, it will take at least five to ten minutes to get the subject back to the MET after mm. the exercise. So the most immediate effects are lost. But if there are somehow longer term effects, and of course, training studies, there are not not many training studies on proprioception and especially from the brain perspective. So whatever type of training, strength training, endurance training, or balance training is maybe the the best candidate that could could affect and this this uh, vibrating board hmm. training and this this would be very interesting to <coughs> to study and uh, and we always try to measure the whole. Body, not only the brain, so we typically measure balance performance with very precise measurements, and also hand skill measurements, and and all all <coughs> kinds of functional motor performance or sensory motor performance measures together with the brain activity, because it's sometimes quite difficult to say if we see something in the brain, mm. and we don't know if it's anyhow correlate to some meaningful uh, functional change then it's it's quite difficult to say that if it has any meaning mm, meaning yeah. so and and that's why it's it's uh, it's advised to study the whole whole system not not only parts of the system yeah and it goes the other way around if we study the ankle joint it would be nice to know how the because the brain affects everything so mm. so the brain has effects in in uh, and also in the peripheral measures yeah and you said about hand skill measuring what kind of test do you use for hand skill uh, in the clinical studies we used standardized tests like uh, nine hole peg test and uh, box and block box and block measures like uh, cross motor function and the and this nine hole back test measures the fine fine motor skill so they they are quite standard test so you measure either the time performed in the test or or the number of objects moved in fixed time all right so yeah. uh, but <clears throat> but then we have sometimes created some some uh, for research purposes uh, basic research purposes some some test that we can test for example the tremor during isometric contractions or or some kind of skill skill uh, measurable skill uh, signal or or like a kind of game like video game like hand hand uh, force control mm. uh, tests but 
but typically uh, the benefit on those those is that you can even do those during the MEC recordings. So if they are just computer, because we can show mm. show things in the computer or in the screen screen to the subjects, so we can they can and and we there are devices that are compatible with MEC joysticks and that kind of. Mm. devices as well and isometric force devices and that sort of things yeah yeah this is a little bit on the side but i wanted to ask about that there's now studies uh, showing up which show the importance of physical activity and movement to the healthy brain that it affects the neurogenesis and other things do you think it's is it is the proprioceptive input to the brain important part of of this healthy brain related to physical activity. Yes, yes. Of course, we know that the physical activity is very beneficial for the brain. Of course, the pathways can be metabolic and neural, but uh, and especially the metabolic part is most likely very important because mm. the better metabolic health we have in our body the the better is the metabolism in in the brain mm. brain and the and the vascular vascular rotary aspect and, and and that that kind of aspects are in kind of good conditions also in the brain if they are in, elsewhere in the body but but i think uh, uh, Yes, of course, there are some hormonal effects as well that are related to the good mood after exercise, for example. Mm. But I, I think also this neuronal component, like proprioceptive feedback to the brain, may have have some some role in how how we feel. Mm. It's basically. The proprioception is the only only channel to the brain that enables us how the exercise feels. Or, mm. or, so, so in that sense, it probably has has some some effects also in this this kind of kind of health health at least in in the motivational side that if it feels it's it's comfortable and it feels good doing the motor action actually it is very enjoyable to to perform these motor actions do sports that's mm. even even during the sports and and proprioception is of course the only channel mediating this this <coughs> information about the exercise of course there are these hormonal aspects mm. as well yeah. but through the blood flow but uh, but uh, uh, it's hard to give any concrete answer because it's definitely not studied yet mm. that well yeah yeah i think it's a good point <clears throat> excuse me like that if you if you sedentary for a long time you kind of lose the awareness of your body that you are actually a physical being mm-hmm. and I, I think it's it's an important part of of being human that we feel that we are 
our body and we we can sense us moving and i i think probably many people who are very sedentary and inactive they have kind of lost this connection between the body and that they are just kind of a, some people say that it's a brain which is transported to different meetings <laughs> through space yeah yes i <coughs> i totally totally agree agree that being human is that we are active active animals that we are uh, we are used to move move and use our body all the time mm. and if we don't get this proprioceptive information to our brain in in the context of moving mm. of course like i said the proprioceptive system is all all the time on and there's feedback to the brain but if if it's not really in the context of strenuous movements and 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 moving then it is almost like that we would cut off the <laughs> pathways yeah pathways yeah. so so then the brain doesn't have that good connection to the physical body and uh, because all these experiences what we are experiencing all the time they affect our cognition and everything mm. so it's uh, and our mind so i think it's 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 definitely or this is my opinion but but it's definitely good for our mind mind to have the possibility to move enough and mm, get yeah. these feelings yeah i i start to feel this as we have been one hour and 20 minutes sitting down so i start to feel the distancing of my of my body and my proprioceptive system uh we have covered quite many different and very interesting themes is there some themes you would still like to discuss or some points that you would like to bring um well as a proprioceptive researcher i would like to uh, all the people who are listening for example this this talk that <coughs> that um, pay some attention also to the proprioception even even if everything is going fine you don't even notice it but uh, but it's good to remember that it's it's, it's there there and it's uh, especially in the motor if there are researchers who are doing motor system research that they would always take in account the proprioceptive system as well mm. because there are quite a lot of especially in the past there was there are a lot of motor theories that don't even mention proprioception at all so it's they, there was uh, uh, has been of course it's not not the <coughs> case anymore but as an example that that uh, the brain con- plans and controls everything and uh, and the mm-hmm. proprioception <coughs> has only some minor role in that mm-hmm. but uh, but now there are new theories coming up like this active inference because we know now that our brain is <coughs> brain is predictive machine or predictive in nature mm-hmm. So it tries to <coughs> predict what will happen if if this kind of plan is conducted mm-hmm. in the periphery by the muscles, and this active inference is <coughs> it's quite interesting. It's it's uh, quite opposite to the previous thinking that the brain plans and then sends commands, and then mm-hmm. there comes feedback that is then corrected in the brain. But <coughs> but this new new theory thinks that that uh, the 
brain still sends some commands kind of in the in the spinal cord but it, but the actual motor commands that go to the muscle through these alpha motor neurons mm. they are they are not kind of motor commands in a sense that brain has planned that this muscle and motor unit will be activated now mm. but 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 there's because there's all all the time the ongoing feedback to the spinal cord and the brain mm. as well yeah about the proprioception so this if there's a mismatch already in this this point mm. point the prediction errors of this proprioceptive feedback become the motor command mm. so it's basically the proprioceptive imbalance is the motor command mm. yeah and in this way the system can work much faster because then yeah. even the output is already from the brain is already corrected before it's sent to the muscle yeah, yeah. so so and i think this is what happens in or it's at least much closer to the reality reality that that in the in the cortex we have the learned learned uh, actions or or selection of different learned actions mm. actions kind of encoded to the neural networks of certain neurons and then when these actions are taken into use this kind of more general plan is sent to the spinal cord and then there it's modulated much more than we mm. think yeah and, yeah and this I, makes it more efficient also especially in this time-wise way yeah i think the motor control has to be quite complex or we don't know how it works because just reaching something with your arm you can think that there's so many muscles that you would need to control and how could you actually predict that all these all these probably 20 muscles in this movement you would need to mm. actually control so yeah, it's really uh, complex actually if we start from a different position if the hand is on the left or right side when we start to for mm. example put food to our mouth the end position is the same but mm. then what happens in the between it's completely different mm. but even from the brain the the primary command can be more or less the same but then because in the spinal level this situation is kind of monitored all the time so then this motor plan is just modified adjusted so that mm. that the end result is the same yeah and there yeah. are some support for this uh, from animal studies from <clears throat> monkeys because if you stimulate the motor cortex for several milliseconds let's say or even one second let's say one second for longer time periods so those are like functionally relevant time periods so if you stimulate one second a certain point of the motor cortex there is a uh, for example the monkey arm makes the makes the eating mm. movement or behavior and and if you then change the hand to the different location and you stimulate the same position the same movement occurs even even it starts from a different different yeah. position so it's kind of evidence that that the that this um, of course it can there is also some cortical and brain involvement most likely but in this control but but it it kind of suggests that that uh, there's a quite a lot of 
modulation of the motor command that the brain sends before mm-hmm. it actually takes in you know, account in the in the motor unit of the muscles. Yeah, no, I, I think it's all all really really interesting and and a lot of field to study. So it was really interesting discussions. I learned a lot and I think there will be a lot of interesting things for our listeners. So thank you, Harry, for taking the time to be a guest in this podcast. Thank you, Olid. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes. So be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.